Tonight is April 20th, 2016, and the title of tonight's message is, His Way is Perfect. His Way is Perfect. 2 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 31. By the way, 2 Samuel is a pretty uh, fantastic chapter, by the way. It paralleled, it's paralleled in Psalm 18. This is David singing a song of praise to the Lord. You can actually see many of the, uh, you can see how the writing is uh, from David in both places. Uh, a lot of the same phrases, a lot of direct quotes from each other. But we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 22. So, as usual, this is kind of the way, the way I want to, this is the way I've been thinking about it. Uh, I went back and looked at our last few messages. Uh, Smokescreen, where God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Prize fighting, that we should fight the good fight. We should fight quarreling and testing and fear and discouragement. Priestly duty was the service that we had with baptism. And, and uh, Pastor Eric took us through a lot of the righteous and the right ways of handling and fulfilling God's call on our life. Before that, we had past, present, and future, where Pastor Eric, Pastor Matt, and I got up and we kind of shared uh, what the Lord is doing here in the midst. Pastor uh, uh, Elder Charlie spoke there at the end and just perfect timing uh, it's one that, that was a fun message because it's really been at least a year in the making. We've actually been preparing for that service for about a year, even though probably 45 minutes before service time is when we actually sat down together. But we've been living it for a while. Before that was dead man walking, talking about the kavod, the very presence of God in our lives. So tonight we're going to talk about His way is perfect. So let's start 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. Say there when you're there. As for God, His way is perfect. Amen. We can close our Bibles. Say the closing prayer. Let's take communion together. Amen. We're done. Right? As for God, His way is perfect. I've been inundated with thoughts lately. Um, One, how easy it is for us to acknowledge something with our mind, but how difficult some things are to our heart. If we actually collectively in this room, all of us, believe that as for God, His way is perfect, how easy is obedience when the person that you are getting instructed by, you know that they're right? That makes obedience very, very easy. (laughs) Our obedience to someone that we're not quite sure about the boss asks you to do something, you're just not quite sure that they have a handle on what's going on. It, it challenges us. The problem is, is that we do this with the Lord as well. Well, I know the Lord told me this, but we have difficulty in following His way sometimes. Let me not make it so vague. I have difficulty following Him sometimes. And I really have to judge my own heart and my own actions against the Word and go, if I really, really down every molecule in my being believe that His way is perfect... It's not even a sacrifice to do what he says. It is the most logical thing that you can imagine. It is the most practical. It is the most apparent thing that we should do is if we actually believe this, where is the fear? We will walk into the midst of a crowd in India with our Bibles because his way is perfect. Whatever the consequence, we can trust him because his way is perfect. The word of the law, Lord, <laughs> the word of the Lord all the words will get all the way out of my mouth, is flawless. Flawless. 
He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. I'm being very deliberate with these words because I, I have a tendency, I don't want to rush through the Scripture tonight. We're, we have a tons of Scripture that we're going to read. If nothing else, you will let the, the Word will speak to you tonight. But as we read this passage, I'm going to intentionally read it slowly because I want it to just settle in just a little bit. As for the Lord, as for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. If you're not encouraged by reading that, then we, we, got, we got something broken here, right? This is David. But he's saying, how many things that are just said right there can kind of speak, can speak to us tonight to go, hey, back up in verse 31. As for God, His way is perfect. Let's turn to Deuteronomy. Keep your place here in 2 Samuel. We're going to come back to this. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Cool. That was fast. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Starting in verse 1. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew. Like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Uh, let me encourage you to hear in the middle of the week, on a Wednesday, if you've, been, if you've been like me, you've had a very, very busy week, lots of irons in the fire, maybe uh, learning how to deal with a, a new little one, which is, a, which is an entirely different job in and of itself. Amen. Yay for sleep deprivation and all kind of stuff, right? Hallelujah. We serve a faithful God whose ways and His works are perfect. All His ways are just. What He does is right. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. Again, this is a parallel passage to the second Samuel 22 that we are in. But I wanted you to see it here as well. Psalm 18, starting in verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Turn just a page over or to, to, to the next chapter in Psalm 19. 
Let's start in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Everybody say perfect. Perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Everybody say trustworthy. Trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Everybody say right. Right. Giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are? Giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is? Enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are? Sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. Um, the reason I keep coming back to this, this, this feels a little, uh, we'll call it foundational, right? It's elementary to us right now. Of course, of course we know. We agree with you. Wait, we, we agree with you. The, the ways of the Lord are perfect. Yes, we're with you. Um, so the reason I'm, I'm laying this out in, in this fashion is if the ways of the Lord are perfect, then our faith should be high. Then our encouragement should be evident. We should not walk around with our heads hanging down, our arms hanging limp. I realize that there are difficulties that we face. I realize that there are discouragements that come. I realize that even with God's ways being perfect, we're not always sure what that means for us. Yes, as a large picture, we can say that, God, your ways are perfect. Amen. I don't quite understand how that perfection makes manifest in my life. I don't know how when I pray that your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not quite sure what it looks like to have your perfect way come down into my life. I'm not quite sure what that means today. When I'm walking around, when I'm talking to someone, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on, when I have worries, when I have stressors, when I'm trying to do things, what does it mean that your way is perfect? Your law is perfect. Your statutes are trustworthy. Turn to Isaiah chapter 26. For us to really learn something, we can't just acknowledge it intellectually. We can't have an intellectual or a mental assent to a truth. We have to see it at work in our lives. Do you believe this? Well, yes, I believe that. What does that mean? Do you, do you believe it like you believe the world is round? Do you believe it like you believe that Abraham Lincoln was the president of our country? How how do you believe it? What is is that doing and how is it impacting your walk in a daily fashion? Isaiah chapter 26. um, And let's start in verse uh, 3. I'm sorry. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. Man. Man. That's a serious kind of peace, isn't it? You will keep him in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I won't ask this question uh, with the expectation of a response, but I'm going to ask the question. Are you in perfect peace? Perfect peace. Is it being made manifest in every area of your life? Are you in shalom? Is your, is your household in order? Are you in order? Are the workings that you put your hand to in order? Are, he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, who is trusting that God's law is perfect, that God's ways are perfect, because we trust in Him. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. 
This is the God that we're serving. When we say that His law, that His ways are perfect, I'm trying to get us past, it's kind of a simple statement, right? His ways are perfect. Well, amen. We're believers. We're a church who believes the Word. We're all going to agree on that. We're done. Now, I don't think we are because I think the hard part is that actually having that made manifest in our life in every area is what we're going for. Not a general concept that says, you know, Nolan, do you agree that God's ways are perfect? Oh, amen. Good. Good, we're done. Right? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. Brandon has like ninja Bible turning ability over there. Matthew, get there. Wait, how are you there? I didn't even finish it. I believe you though. Matthew 5:48 says this, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. How many of you ever heard this statement, nobody's perfect? You ever heard that? How many of you ever said that statement before? I mean, well, nobody's perfect. What does that mean? It means I just messed up, but you can't be too mad at me. Nobody's perfect. Sorry. Right? That's really what we mean. Don't be mad. The Bible says this. Be perfect, therefore. (laughs) Wait. Wait a minute. This is one of those things that, that... uh, Andrew shared a scripture, and it's like, really, God is telling us to do something that we can't do. Be perfect as God is perfect, lest you think that there's another standard. Because His ways are perfect, and that is the standard that you're supposed to be walking in. Amen. How many of you guys walk perfectly today? Anybody? Not me. <laughs> but what I don't want to do is give myself any excuses. Well, nobody's perfect. The Bible says that that is exactly what I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to walk in obedience, and even if I don't feel very perfect about today, even if I don't feel perfect about what's going on, if I'm walking in obedience because His ways are perfect, and I'm going to walk in His ways, then I'm going to just trust that when He looks down at me and He looks through the blood and He sees my obedience, then what He's going to see is a perfect representation of Himself. Have you ever thought about it? People like Lot, right? Was Lot a righteous or an unrighteous man? Answer. He was righteous. You know how I know that? Because I read the New Testament. And the Bible says that he was vexed in his righteous soul. You know what I see when I see in the Old Testament? I don't see a particularly righteous man. I have to be perfectly honest with you. When I look at it, I realize that there may be more than just what the text was. Because the way that the Bible says that I'm supposed to interpret what I see in him in early on in Genesis and the teens in the chapters there is I'm supposed to look at him as a righteous man who was vexed in his righteous soul. Whoa. When I look at some of the kings and it says either, their lives were summarized this way. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, I don't like that. I mean, I like it for other people, but I don't like it when I'm considering it for myself. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, how are we going to do that? 
Amen. Yay for Scripture, right? We love the Word. It's great. What does this mean? What does it mean when we're at our job and we're having to answer the phone? What does it mean when we're taking bids? What does it mean when we're selling cars? What does it mean when we're... What does it mean? It means that His way is perfect, and if we follow in His way, then we can be perfect like He is perfect. Do this, you'll hear me say this. You've already heard me say this a lot over the last few weeks. Do not make excuses for what the Word of God says. Well, this must mean something else besides be perfect. Be complete. Be, um, be mature. Have the fullness of God working in you. It must mean something different than that because when I look at the word perfect and in my definition, I can't be that, so therefore the word of God is true vaguely, but not true for me. That is, that is a, a tool of the enemy to get us all. That's one of the tools that allows churches to go around and have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Because, oh yeah, we have the form. Yes, it's true. But we're just not doing it because we don't expect it to happen. I can't wait to hear from Justin and Nick about India. I can't wait to hear from the Stevens about Romania. I get little texts here and there, finding out little things here and there, but I can't wait to hear the fullness of it. When I share about our trip to Africa, which is fading into the background, right? We're quickly advancing where people are like, oh, yeah, you did go to Africa. It was only like six weeks ago. Come on, man. Our church is like dog years. You know, that feels like, that was like last year, wasn't it? It was last month. Come on. Give me some credit, man. Literally, I got back last month, right? It's our church. We're all like, oh, it's true, dog years, yes. You know, you know you're in a good church when you can determine when you got here by what chapter you were in and foundations, right? Right? Genesis 6. Thank you very much. Thank you. Genesis 6. Thanks. I can tell when I got this Bible. You know why? Because it was Exodus 5, because there, that's when the notes started in my Bible. <laughs> Exodus 5, when I got the Bible, got here on Genesis 6. Amen. Right? Living dog years, right? When I tell people about the trip that we had to Africa and tell them about the miracles, and I lay out the scripture before them, one of the first questions... I get asked basically the same question just in one or two forms. And the question really is, why doesn't that happen here? That's the biggest question. I tell about uh, uh, Olivia, who's in the back tonight, uh, laying hands on people and them getting filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's incredible. Tell them about Gabe laying hands on people and watching miraculous healings. About our youth laying hands on demon-possessed people and them getting set free. I mean, I I tell them that and people go, hey, why doesn't that happen here? Part of the answer to that is you don't expect it to happen here. I've actually not yet come across a person who says they're a Christian, regardless of their denominational background, who's really balked much at my stories. They don't really balk at it. A, it's my story, so what are you going to do? Call me a liar? (laughs) You can but I was there. And I'm telling you what happened. Um, Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, Catholics, um, fill in the blank. I've actually talked to different people about this and most of them are like, hey, so tell me, 
if they actually have a genuine heart for the Lord, they're going, why doesn't that happen here? Some of them, you can see it because they're hungry. They're like, oh, I would love for that to happen here. I would love to see somebody get like a miracle happen. I would love to see somebody get all this crazy stuff that you see in the Bible, but my church just teaches it doesn't happen anymore. Oh, so they're making excuses for reading a scripture and it not meaning exactly what it means. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what that means? If you go look at it in the Greek, it means be perfect. Complete, full, mature. It means exactly what it says. The way I study for, for these uh, for sermons is we'll get together and we'll, we'll have a scripture, we'll have a thought, and what we do is we go to the scripture and we see what the scripture has to say. What we don't do is try to come up with like a neat, cool thought and cram scripture in there to fit what we're saying. We actually go to the scripture and see what it says. And sometimes you're, you're researching a word and you know what you find? That the word means exactly what you thought it meant. <laughs> it really doesn't. There's not, you're going for some deep meaning and sometimes it just means what it says. Let's presume that it means exactly what it says. Let's start from that presumption. We, we started saying that to our kids a couple of years ago. Let's presume that dad and mom actually know what they're talking about. I know we're not as good looking as you people, not as strong, not as healthy, and let's just presume that mom and dad actually know something about the universe. We've been your age. You've never been our age. Can you just give us a little credit? Oh, dad, it's not that. No, it's exactly that. Because <laughs> your first inclination is that dad must be wrong. Okay, I understand. You're young. You're stupid. I get it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just picking. Hey, do we do that to the Lord? When the Lord tells us something, do we presume? My favorite thing is, I say that facetiously, is when we're doing marriage counseling, you know what we find more often than not? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be very, very honest and open. Usually the way it is, is usually the wife towards a husband. It could be the other way around, but I'm going to use that example. Where the wife doesn't quite think that the husband actually understands. Because if he understood, he wouldn't make the decision that he made. Amen. I'm not even saying, I'm not, this is not being overly male, raw, you know. Tim Allen, right? You may be correct. You may be more correct than your husband. And if we're going to be in perfect peace, if we're going to have shalom in our homes, sometimes it's okay. It's the right thing for us to do for us to be in mutual submission to each other and a wife to submit to the husband's instructions, even if it's not always... It doesn't matter if somebody understands everything. It doesn't matter if you understand everything that God is requesting of you. Understanding is not the prerequisite for your obedience. We have made understanding a higher importance in our lives than obedience. There's a problem with this. It sounds right. And it sounds righteous. Well, clearly, if my husband understood, then he would make this. So let me help him understand. Amen. Please talk. I'm not saying it should be so dictatorial that the husband says something. You're like, 
uh, honey, there's, that's, we don't actually have money in the bank to do that. Well, amen. Husbands, you're going to be held accountable. So if you're wrong, God himself will hold you accountable. There's a high standard for, a, for us as men. And none of our understanding is required when God speaks something to us. You know why? Because his way is perfect. Whether I understand it or not. Whether I think that he understands it. Have you ever had those prayers? I've prayed prayers to God. When I think about it after the fact, I'm like, I basically just said, God, I'm not sure you understand. God, I would like to present to you all of the details of this situation. Please pay special attention to pages six through nine. I have documented it, collated it for you, just to make sure that you, the great king of all the universe, whose way is perfect, actually understands this part. I'm kind of worried about this part right here. Dear God, here's my prayer. I have prayed that. I have been dumb enough to go, God, if only you knew what they were saying to me. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I just heard what I said. My bad. That's not really what I meant. But God, I'm worried about what they're saying to me. Do you know what they're saying to me? I mean, I know you know, but do you really know? Because I'm, I'm worried that you don't. I'm worried that your way isn't perfect. I'm worried that you're going to let me get hurt when I don't want to get hurt, I would really prefer not to get hurt. If, this, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Sounds much more religion and much nicer, right? I actually don't want to be uncomfortable here. Forget, forget comfort. We're going to be more mature than worrying about comfort. But Lord, I don't want to lose. Lord, I don't want to defame your mighty name. Lord, I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to do this wrong. I'm just not quite sure how to do it right. I know that your way is perfect, but you know what? In me, it's not fully completed yet. I'm not fully mature, and I can't always figure it out the right way. And the truth is, is I just don't want to screw up. So, Lord, can you help me? Because we learned last service that it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect in us, that his grace is sufficient. So it must be that I don't need to understand This one statement should liberate some folks in here. I feel it liberating you. You don't need to understand if it's clear that God has spoken. If you're not clear about whether it's God or not, you need to get clear. Yes? But once you are clear, it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. It doesn't matter whether I understand it or not. Because he's always going to ask stuff. He's going to ask things. He's going to require things of us that we can't do by ourselves. Husbands, he's going to require things that you have to have your wife with you to do. You have to have your easer. You will not be able to accomplish your call by yourself, no matter how big and bad you think you are. You ain't that big and you ain't that bad. Pardon the common vernacular. He doesn't need you to understand. He needs you to obey because his way is perfect. And when we do that, guess what? We become perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as, heavenly fa- as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So in other words, let's focus on perfect obedience. And what God will see in us is perfection. He will see perfection in us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I hope this is making sense to you. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. 
Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, Jesus waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Huh. Maybe there's a perfection that God has already given us and what we're saying sometimes when we don't feel perfect is that we're in the process of being made holy. Because by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Wait a minute. You're, you're already perfected because of what Jesus Christ has done. You've already been made complete. His divine power has given you everything you need. Everybody say everything. everything. If we actually believe that scripture, many of us would live different lives. If I believe that God has already deposited and given me everything I need to accomplish His will. Everything. Maybe some of it is in seed form and it needs to grow up into maturity. Maybe I need, I'm waiting on my one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Yes, there's a growth process. Yes, there's this catch-up catch up process where what he's already said and us kind of growing up into the head, which is Jesus Christ, those things have to take place. And positionally, in my heart, I can understand and I can have faith and hope and I can keep drawing upward. Because unless you keep thinking about it upward, like I'm supposed to be perfect. Oh, wait, I've been made perfect. So if I've been made perfect and I don't feel perfect, or I've been made perfect and I'm not acting perfectly, I better get my stuff together. I got to get his spirit at work in my life so I will be and I can walk in perfect obedience. If you just walk around with the nobody's perfect, you know what never happens? Your holiness is never made complete. You never walk in the perfection that God has given you. Now, do you, do I want to stand before God and him say, I gave you everything you needed. How'd you do? Nobody's perfect. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm. I'm not gonna stand there before him and say that. Because he'll say, "But I made you perfect." Oh, wow. Let's turn back to Second Samuel. Amen. We've just completed line one. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. Everybody say flawless. Flawless. You know what that word is in the Hebrew? The word for flawless there is the same word for tried. The same word for tested and found approved. It is usually used to talk about when um, when you're refining something. The word of the Lord has been tried, tested, examined, and found flawless. Turn to Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, 6. Psalm 12, 6 says this, And the words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. We know the importance of the number seven. 
Why not 10? Why not 100? Because what he's saying is it's been perfected in every way possible. It's been heated seven times. I've heard it said that when you're refining silver, the silversmith understands the purity of the silver when he can see his own reflection in the silver. You heat it up and dross, nastiness, junk rises to the top. You get a skimmer and you skim it off. And then you apply more heat. You know what happens? Junk rises to the surface. Then he comes and he skims it off the top. And he keeps heating it. So what he's saying is a process that took seven times. You can't get it too hot or what happens? It'll actually burn the silver. It will destroy the silver. You can get it hot enough that it'll, it'll just destroy it. God knows that about you. He knows he could get it so hot that he could destroy you. That's not what he's after. That's what you think. That's what I think sitting in the pot going, this is too hot for me. Because junk starts rising to the top. Again, it's easy to obey when you agree with the person who's telling you something. See what happens when you don't like the person who's telling you something. See what happens when the, when the situation gets intense. See what happens when the bank account gets too low. See what happens when you're feeling sick in your body. See what happens when you haven't slept enough. See what happens. Let's see what's rising to the top in you. We can serve God when it's easy. What about, what about, what, what comes to the surface? Is it purity or is it dross that comes to the top? Amen, Lord. Would you purify me seven times over? Amen. Would you get to the point where it's pure silver and all, when you look over at it, all you see is yourself? Woo! I feel, I'll feel perfected then. <laughs> I'll feel complete and mature. Turn over a few pages. Psalm 17. So how are you reflecting the Lord? How are you reflecting His glory? Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. May my vindication come from you. Woo, that's kind of a tough word, isn't it? Vindication? (laughs) Vindicate me, O Lord. What does that mean? That means there's been some opposition. That means there's been some unjust treatment. Lord, instead of me going after them, Lord, would you vindicate? Would the God of all creation who sees all and knows all and your way is perfect, would you come and vindicate me? May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. (laughs) Has your mouth ever gotten you in trouble? Never. (laughs) I guess I could have asked the question, does your mouth always get you in trouble? Yes, most of the time. I've resolved that my mouth will not sin. As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Do you know who's saying this prayer? This is David. Doesn't that sound like an arrogant? It can almost sound arrogant. Hey, I'm doing what's right. Lord, I'm doing what's right. Isn't that the kind of prayers we're supposed to be praying? Lord, I really am. Lord, I'm doing as... I, I, I want to be able to echo David here and go, Lord, I have determined that my mouth will not sin against you. 
I want to have a perspective of myself that God has. Lord, you do not allow sin. And when I'm walking in obedience, I'm somehow more than what I really am. When I'm walking in your spirit, I'm somehow what you look at me when I'm being obedient. Even if I'm fearful, I push through and I do what you tell me to do. And somehow you see me differently than I see me. I would much rather see me the way that you see me. Perfected. Glorious. A righteous child in his sight. Learning and becoming holy because we've already been perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself the way that Jesus sees you? The Bible says for us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And I agree. Do not think of yourselves more highly than ought to because you should look at yourself with sober judgment. As a pastor and understanding the word, I also want to tell you, do not think of yourselves more lowly than you should. One produces an arrogance that God will have to crush. I pray, I do not pray that for any of you. I hope that you will humble yourselves before the Lord and under His mighty hand, that He can lift you up in due season. I pray that you humble yourself so that He won't have to. But for some of this in, the, in, in this room, we actually have a problem because we view ourselves too lowly. We don't actually think that God called us. And if we do, then we really don't know what that means, so we would rather shrink back and think that that's actually serving His purpose because, you know, what would it be like if we actually went out there and failed? Well, we would rather not do that, so we would just live small. We actually won't believe that His way is perfect and that He designed us a certain way, and then if we walk in that, it'll be right. What I'm worried about is failing. Hi, I'm Wade, and I'm a failure-aholic. I'm fearful of failing. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. I don't want you to think bad about me. So I'm going to live my whole life based on that fear. Wait a minute. Does that serve the Lord's purpose? Does us playing scared and small, does that serve the Lord's purpose? No more than me thinking that I'm supposed to go stand on the stage of the largest venue in the world and wow people with the beautiful oration that comes from my mouth. That doesn't really serve the Lord because it's really trying to serve me. But isn't the other way trying to serve you as well? Why? Because I'm afraid. Because I'm scared. Because I don't want to mess up. Because I don't... I... I... We're going to have sober judgment of ourselves here in this church. We're going to look at ourselves and we're going to learn how to think of ourselves and see ourselves. When we look in the mirror, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see ourselves just the way that Jesus Christ sees us. When we're walking in obedience, there's such pleasure, there's such affirmation that He has for us that we're going to walk in it and it's going to cause us to be bold and to do more for Him. We're not going to look at ourselves in the mirror and think negative thoughts. We're not going to look at ourselves and actually allow the lies of the enemy to be the thing that we see and we hear about ourselves. We're not going to do that. That's not what this church is going to do. We're not going to look at ourselves and think that we are better than everyone else that we have somehow been entitled to something great, you know what we're going to do? We're going to see ourselves exactly the way that Jesus Christ sees us. It's going to be with sober judgment because if we're not walking in truth, then we should be reprimanded. We should be punished. We should be disciplined because the Lord disciplines those that He what? That He loves. He disciplines His own children. So if we're being disciplined, we should be encouraged. 
Amen. He hasn't cast me away. Glory. When we're going through struggles, you know what we should do? Glory, Lord. You've counted me worthy to suffer for you. When we're going through a time of blessing and encouragement, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even though I don't deserve this, you've given us blessings beyond what we can count. Wow, thank you, Lord. Are you hearing a running theme? It almost doesn't matter the circumstances we're in because we're just going to keep our hearts pure before him. And whatever state we found ourselves, we're going to learn to be content, whether we are based or whether we are bound. I've often thought in my life, Lord, I've spent a lot of time being abased. Any chance I can learn how to abound? It's not true. It's true that I thought it, but my thoughts were wrong, is what I'm trying to say. If you compare me to the rest of the six, seven billion people on the planet, I'm in the top probably 1% of all the wealth in the world. Me. You. It's just, just depending on what you're comparing yourself to, right? Turn to Psalm 26. I think I read this before. It's verse 2. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Examine it, Lord. Would Would you test it so that it could be flawless? Would you purge it? Would you try it? For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. Turn to Psalm 66.10. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Lord, would you test us? Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48. 10. Isaiah 48. 10 says this. See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I quoted this the other day. It's a proverb. Furnished for gold, crucible for silver, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Whether you have praise or affliction, both of those can equally be testing on us. You know what some of us are really good at? We're really, this church is, is learning and we are, we are getting extremely good at suffering through affliction. Please slap me in the face because I'm going to handle that well. I'm going to handle it well. You spit at me, I'm going to handle it with a grace that few have seen. You know what we also need to be good at? Getting praise. We need to, we need to be equally as effective in how we handle a conversation that doesn't require me to wipe somebody's spit off my face as it does for when I do. This verse in Isaiah 48 says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. One is easy because the enemy is so bold. It allows us to understand that there's a a fight afoot. Uh, We've got, okay, we're going to engage, Lord. Lord, help me to handle this well. The other one is much more subtle. It's tougher to tell that we're actually in a battle. 
Oh, man, we, you guys are great. These are men of the Lord. Listen to what they say. It took Paul a while to figure out that that person was actually using and speaking from a demonic force. They're walking around. Listen to these men. They are great. They're wonderful. You know what the problem was? Is she was trying, it sounded like she was saying the right things, but you know what she was trying to do? She was trying to take the glory of what God was doing in them and steal from it. If I endorse you and you're doing what the Lord does, then somehow that approves me and what I do from also being of the Lord. Let me borrow from what you're doing. Let me borrow from the name that you have. Let me borrow from your good name and let people think that I have a better name than what I have so that what I do has been tacitly approved by you. It's amazing that Jesus says he didn't entrust himself to all men because he knew the heart inside of men. He's not going to entrust himself to people. And yet he loved them. Huh. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. It has been tried and tested. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let's go to verse 37. Uh, let's, let's start in 36. 32, 36. The Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants. When He sees their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free, He will say, Now, where are their gods? The rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up to save you. Let them give you shelter. The Lord's saying, hey, be careful who you're putting your refuge in. He's a shield to those who do what? Who take their refuge in Him, who run to Him as their high tower, who find a place of hiding, of covering. (laughs) The word there uh, in the Hebrew is indicating as if you're out on a hot, hot, hot day, and you find and you see a, tree, uh, a shade tree. You're going to go take refuge under the shadow of his wings. You're going to take refuge in him. And you're going to go find a place of rest and of peace and of comfort and of rejuvenation. He's saying, I will be a shield for you, but we have to be careful who we're putting our refuge in. Turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 and let's start in verse uh, 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The idea there is the wings are often referring to the garment, the tallit, the prayer covering. 
and under the wings, the righteous man would be wearing the tallit, and you would wrap the covering under the prayer covering. The Lord is saying here, and who we take refuge. Ruth is saying here. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Well, that sounds familiar. Do not add to His words, or He will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Hmm. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither riches nor poverty, but give me only my daily bread. I read this the other day. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. He's trying to say, Lord, I want to learn how to take refuge in you. I need to know this. And if you give me too much, then I may run to something else beside you. If you give me too little, I may go scrounge around because I get afraid. Would you give me just enough? Would you give me exactly what I need? Because I really want to have you be the one that I take my refuge in. Turn to Psalm chapter 71. Psalm chapter 71 and verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Turn to Psalm 91, verse 4. Psalm 91, verse 4. I think it's four. Ah, there it is. He will cover you with his feathers. (laughs) Kind of a neat personification there, right? He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Can you see the picture of that, of of a mama bird and a little, a little bird, a little duckling, a little chick up beside the mother? (sighs) Unfortunately, I have to. I have to be really honest with you. The picture I have in my mind is Big Bird from Sesame Street. <laughs> and he just kind of settles down, you know. Like, hey, I don't know why it says that's the picture. I just had to share that. Just being real here, people. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Listen to this. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Isn't our world still trying to do this? If you listen to the news, what do, how do they get your attention? Something in your baby's crib could be killing them. More in five minutes. What? <laughs> the paper that you use might be killing you. But, uh, uh, fear, fear, fear. Fear, fear, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid of everything. Is your diet, is it going to kill you? Is, is, is not going on the diet going to kill you? Is it the sugar that's going to kill you or the stuff that you do to replace the sugar? Is it going to be the, <laughs> I can't do anything. So which, so which is it? Either his way is perfect or it's not. Either we're going to walk in faith and obedience or we're not. 
because he says here he'll cover us with his feathers and under his wings we will find refuge. We'll find a place. There's something about a sigh. Just, I find myself that I do that when I get the most stressed. Christy finds me doing that every once in a while. I'll be like, I'll be stressed out and there's a lot of activity going on and I'm just walking around the house and I'm going, she's like, you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I, I just find that I have to, I, I need to catch my breath. I've been running so hard. I've been working so hard. Oh, really, I've been worrying so hard that I feel like I can't breathe right now. So I just need to kind of catch my breath. You know what God's refuge does? It allows you to catch your breath. It allows you to feel, amen. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. I'm going to start in verse 6, I believe. Come on, this this should cause some of you to, to shout with joy here. Psalm 118.6 says this, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Um, um, I, I think they can actually kill you. Yes. Yes, they can. That's why the New Testament says, Don't worry about what the people who can kill the body, but he who can bo- destroy both what soul and body. Who can, who can take the spirit right out of you and deal with that. That's the one that you got to be afraid of. What can man do to me? So the worst thing they can do is kill me. Uh, well, the worst thing they can do is torture me and then kill me. The worst thing they can do is intimidate me. Really? That's all you got. I've already laid my life down. It's not mine to have anyway. If the Lord requires it of me. I've already laid it down. I've already done that. So actually getting to live out what I've already done I'm willing to do. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. I will not. Won't do it. Not going to happen. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. That's an interesting word to use for the Lord, isn't it? I think that word there is easier. The Lord is the one without whom I cannot accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish. He's not my helper. He's not my assistant. He's not my co-pilot. He is my easer. He's the one that actually helps me to accomplish what he told me to accomplish in the first place. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better, everybody say better, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. How simple. Verse 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It's interesting that coupling, right? It's better to trust in the Lord than trust in man. Lest you think through it and go, well, what if it's a really, really talented, excellent kind of person? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. Fine. However you want it. All right? Let's turn back to Samuel, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here.
As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. <laughs> for some reason, I keep messing that line up. I'm going to start again. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. Who arms you? It's God who arms you with strength and makes my way, what? Perfect. Complete. Oh, He's made us perfect through the blood of Jesus. We're walking into holiness. He's telling us to be perfect. But that's not just a New Testament concept. He's saying it way back here. This is David who understands when he's, he's put down some enemies, he's saying, hey, guess what? It's God who arms me. I'm not trying to do this on my own strength. I need His Spirit. I need His presence in my life. And He makes my way. We started off the, the ten, ter, sermon tonight saying, His way is perfect. But do you know what He says? It's God who arms me with strength and does what? He makes your way perfect. He makes my way perfect. Wait. Yeah, I mean the path that you're on. I mean the direction that you're heading. He will make your way perfect. Everybody say, He will make my way perfect. If we obey what He's telling us here, He makes my way perfect. How? Because He gives you the strength to do it. Because He just says it. It's God who arms me with strength. The word for strength there is talking about a fortress. It's talking about a shelter. It's actually referencing back to refuge. He's saying, it is God who's going to allow me to run to Him and find my strength. I can run under His banner. I can run under His tower. I can run to Him and find refuge. And in that refuge is where I find the strength to be able to have my way made perfect. He makes my feet like a feet of a deer. Well, that's an interesting way to say it. He enables me to stand on the heights. Just a few scriptures here, and then, and then we're going to wrap it up. Turn to Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Exodus 14, 13. Helps when I get in the right book. Exodus 14.13 says this, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. This is what David is really echoing here. He will make your feet like the feet of deer. What does that mean? That means you're going to be sure-footed. You're going to be able to climb up on the heights and be sure-footed. You will not let, he will not let your foot slip. You will be able to stand firm in what he tells you. When's the first time that you've ever... When was the first example in your life where you had to stand firm? I mean in the natural. As a male, there were times when I was growing up where I had to learn how to stand firm. I don't want to have to do this, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to back up. You might be able to totally thrash me. And I'm just not going to back up. I'm not going anywhere. This can end nice. This can end bad. And I'm still going to... I remember times as a kid going out in my backyard because we grew up in the hood. And there were times for me to get back into my house. I had to decide that I was just going to stand firm and however many people were there. We're going to have to work through this. 
there's no other way. Not running because I'm going to my house. If I'm going to run, I'm going to run right there, but you're not letting me get there. How do you want to do this? All right, how do you want to do this? I'm going inside now. As a teacher, I had to learn how to do that. Not a fight. I had to learn how somebody say, hey, you're gonna do, I want you to do this with my kid. Nope. With all due respect, it's not going to happen. I've learned how to be very, uh, hopefully very eloquent with my words and very firm in my heart. Hey, Mr. Principal, we want you to do this, and we're going to call the cops, and we're going to call the news station. Here's the phone. You're not going to threaten me. I've actually kicked people out of my office before because they were being ugly. I said, here's what we're going to do. Well, you're actually going to get up from your chair. You're going to walk out of my office. I'm going to close the door. Then you're going to knock on my door, and I will come, and we're just going to start the whole conversation over. Because what we're not going to do is have you talk to me that way. No, get up now. Now. Get out of my office. We're going to start again. This is for your sake. Because you're not going like, to like how this ends if you stay in that seat. Hey, good to see you. Come on in. Have a seat. How can I help you? Mr. Sutherland, I would like to. Great, let's talk about that. Sometimes you have to learn how to stand firm in a lot of different areas in life. You have to learn how to stand firm when you have a kid that's got a strong will. Yes? If you ever had a strong old kid, say amen. amen. Thank you. That's how you go. Well, but I kind of understand. No, no. Just for the principle of the matter. If you said it, it has to be done that way. Even if they're very, very clever. Well, I know you said that you wanted 13 of these. Can I do 12 and then like something extra? No, I said 13. I don't know why I said 13, but now that's the rule. Whatever it is, you have to learn how to stand firm. This is what God is always going to require of you. You have to learn how to find truth and hold on to it like there's nothing else around. You have to find your purpose and go after it. You have to learn what God has called you to do and, and voraciously go that direction. Amen. What, you want to offer me a million dollars? Nope, because it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. You want to offer me a billion dollars? Great, because might, might as well be whatever you think because I'm not going to do it anyway. You think you're going to tempt me to walk away from what the Lord has called me to do? I'm going to stand firm in His purposes. You know why? Because He's called me, and His way is perfect, and His strength will be in me, and my way will be perfect. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to let my dream die that He put within me. Not going to do it. I might look like a fool. Not going to do that. I'm going to stand firm in what He has promised me. I'm going to stand firm in what He has told me. Uh, Let's do Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9. Just a few more scriptures and then we're going to wrap it up. I promise. Isaiah 7, 9. Is that the fourth time I said that? Awesome. It's still true. It's the band director thing coming out of me. One more time. (laughs) Mr. Salad, you said that 15 minutes ago. Yep. 
I did. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Um, There's only one way to stand in Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Can you say that about your walk? Yeah, but you see, you, you see, Pastor Wade, that's not my personality. I mean, I kind of see everything in gray, and there's not a whole lot of black and white. I mean, I can see both points of it. Great. Fantastic. Is your walk with the Lord this way? Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Can you get talked out of what the Lord is doing in you? Can you get talked out of what God has told you? Can you get talked out of the direction that God has said? Is it that easy? Is it that easy? All I have to do is suggest something else to you. First Kings 13, there's a story of a young prophet and an old prophet. Young prophet is told by God to do something. He actually goes and delivers God's word properly. And the Lord says, you've got to go. I'm sending you in a specific direction. The old prophet says, hey, man, come on over to my house. It's all good. Come on over. The Lord told me that you're supposed to come over here. Oh, okay. I'll go over there. Really? It's that easy to get you to get off of God's word? It cost that young prophet his life. You know what's interesting about that story? Old prophet does not happen to die in that moment. You're like, well, he led him astray. We feel sympathetic towards the young prophet, right? Oh, he got tricked. Yeah, perhaps if he was standing firm and let nothing move him, that's the issue. By the way, the old prophet says, hey, by the way, boys, sons, when I die, put me in the same grave as him. He was acknowledging that his fate should be exactly the same as that. It caught up with him later. Can, can you get dissuaded from what God has called you to do just because of a little adversity? Because someone suggests something to you? You think you know what's right and then they talk it and you get all... Well, I I guess you're right. I guess you're smarter than me. I guess it's... Stop. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It can be in vain if you just don't go towards it and actually not doing the work of the Lord. So stand firm then, folks. Let nothing move you. But the economy, I don't care. But our government, I don't care. But these people, I don't care. Stand firm then. The Word of God is either true or it's not. It either has exceptions at every turn or it doesn't. It either says stand firm and it means stand firm or it doesn't. Like it, don't like it. Think about your own personality. Think about all the excuses. doesn't matter. How about we just say, it says stand firm. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand firm. Our prayer should not be how to get out of it, but Lord, since this is clearly your word, would you help me to stand firm so that nothing can move me? Lord, 
I do have apprehension in my heart because that's not how I'm made. I'm afraid that when you tell me something, I will get distracted. And someone else, would you help me, Lord? Would you help me to stand firm so that when you say it, I am immovable? That's not my personality. I don't care if it's your personality. That does not bother me. That's not what we're talking about. You stand firm. Because His ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? Do you want to occupy that place in your own heart? Do you want to let someone else occupy the place of lordship in you by listening to them, by going off and doing something, by not doing something, whatever it is? It is God who arms me with strength and who makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. I'm not going to stand in the lowly places. I'm going to stand on the heights because He's made me sure-footed. I will stand firm in what He has said. He trains my hands for battle. He trains me. Repeated use. Excellent instruction over and over again. Repetition until I get it. I'm stronger and I'm stronger and I'm stronger. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. So his way is perfect. He wants our way to be perfect. In the beginning, he says he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Now he's saying you give me your shield.